Well, hey, welcome to First Church. If you're new, my name's Chad. So glad you chose to worship with us here today. In addition to everybody we have here on site, let's have a great crowd. I know we have people in our modern hymn service worshiping with us as well. Also, a ton of people online. Just saw we have the Garner family from Alabama. They're on vacation, I think, and they're worshiping with us. So uh, glad to have everybody, no matter where you are right now, worshiping with us. And if you are here in person, would you put your hands together and welcome in everyone who's joining us for worship. And this has been a crazy week here at First Church because this past week we had our Kid Fest and we had hundreds of kids on site as well as a ton of volunteers as well. And if you didn't get to be here or see anything about it on social media, here's a quick video that kind of summarizes what, summarizes what happened this week. Take a look. I know these kids are fired up to be here. So I just want to thank all of our volunteers, all of our staff, and especially Nathan and Emily, who helped this past week happen, make sure this past week happened. It was a great week. And I got to be here every night. My kids were a part of it. And one night I ran into a little boy who comes to our church, and he said, uh, hey, Chad, I got to hear you preach. And I was like, oh, you did? And apparently he told me all about it a few weeks ago. He wasn't feeling well, so his mom let him stay with her in service, in the big service. And so he got to listen to me preach. And so I said, well, you got to hear me. How was it? And he goes, it was all right. And so I wanted to follow up with that. I was like, well, you know, maybe if you ever get to hear me again, it'll be better next time. And he goes, I sure hope so. So you just never know what little kids are going to say, honestly. Now, those of you who do know me, you know how much I love to preach and teach God's word. There's nothing I would rather do and I feel called to do it. But sometimes, there are certain messages that are more difficult than others. And I just want to let you know that today's message is probably one of the heaviest sermons I have ever had to preach. I can't tell you how many people I've had this past week praying for me as we have been preparing for this moment. You might be asking, well, if it's such a heavy and difficult topic, why are you doing it? The answer is simple. It's because we love God and we want to honor his truth, but also we love people. We love you. And therefore, we're not a church that's afraid to have the difficult conversations. The Bible gives us this warning. It says in 2 Timothy, the time will come when people will not listen to the truth. They will look for teachers who will tell them only what they want to hear. And I mentioned when we started this series a few weeks ago, I'm somebody who likes to be liked. I don't like controversy. I don't want to intentionally upset anybody. That's not who I am. I like to be liked, and probably most of you do as well. If you don't like to be liked, then there might be something wrong with you, honestly. So I don't really look forward to controversial issues. However, I also know that if we just tell people what they want to hear, and if I just surround myself with people who tell me exactly what I want to hear, then we're going to miss out on God's greater purpose for our lives. See, that's why Proverbs tells us this. 
It says there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. So that's why in this series, we're not focused on our own personal opinions. We're not trying to just hold up man-made traditions that don't align with God's word. Our only goal in this series is to seek God's wisdom for our lives. And we believe that when we seek his truth, then his truth, as Jesus says, will set us free. So what's our topic today? It's this. God's design for sexuality. All right, I can tell you're enthused. This is our topic for today. And some of you might be thinking, why? Why are we going there? I mean, when we think about sexuality, we think of something physical, and in church, we're, we're supposed to talk about spiritual things, and church is about theology, and you know, sex is all about biology, and so why are we going there? Well, the fact that that's where our mind goes is exactly why we need to address this topic. Because you see, we have removed God from this issue in our lives, and because of that, I believe it has led to a ton of pain, a ton of heartache, emptiness, loneliness in people's lives. Because what we need to understand is that God is the designer of sexuality, that sex is God's idea. He came up with it. Now, Satan wants for us to forget this. He wants for us to think that, like, we came up with it. He wants for us to think that, like, we, you know, designed sex or developed sex, whatever, discovered it behind God's back or something. I mean, that's what Satan wants for us to believe, but it's just not true. The Bible says that God is the designer of sex. He created it. It was his idea, and it's a good idea. In fact, he created it before sin ever entered our world. You guys know Genesis chapter 3 is the fall of man, whenever mankind chose to sin by eating the forbidden fruit. But before that ever happens in Genesis chapter 2, look at what the Bible says. It says, if you want to go on back. Oh, yeah, no, that's right. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And that's sexual language right there. If you read on, it says, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So what that means is, before there was sin, there was sex. It was part of God's original plan, it was part of his design for creation before sin was ever a factor. And if that's the case, then what we need to wrap our minds around is this, is that human sexuality has a divine design. It has a divine purpose. And that's why I believe today the most important question that we can ask is not, what do you believe about sex? I think the most important question that we can ask today is, what do you believe about God? I think most of us probably listening to this message today believe the first words of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 when it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there may be some who don't believe that, and I would love to have a conversation about what these words mean later on, but I dare say the majority of people listening to this message do accept those words, do believe those words. And so what this means, if you believe this, is that the human race, that humanity, it basically, it's not an accident. I mean, human life isn't the accidental product of random events, but the intentional result of our loving Heavenly Father's plan. And so if we do believe that God has a plan, a design for everything, and that means he has a design, a plan for sex. 
And if you believe those first words of the Bible, like I do, then you should want to know what that design is because we believe that our loving Heavenly Father knows what's best for us. Now, before I go any further, I just want to acknowledge a couple of things. First, I want to acknowledge that this is an extremely sensitive topic. I know that. And I don't want to act like it's not. And honestly, I think the church in general has not always done a great job in talking about this issue. It seems like in the past there's been one of two approaches. The first is to just totally ignore the subject. And so then by not talking about it, we just let the culture define what sexuality is. Then the other extreme is there are churches who shame people and degrade and devalue people who don't believe what they believe. And I don't believe that's what God has called us to do either. So let me just say, if one of those two experiences has been your experience in the past, I am so sorry. I just want to let you know that that's not First Church. And I want to let you know that no matter where you are right now, whether you agree or disagree with what I'm getting ready to teach from God's Word, we love you, I love you, and God loves you. And we want to have ongoing conversations with you, even if you disagree with what I'm getting ready to teach, because we don't believe that the church is a pristine showroom. It's a messy living room, and we all bring our mess to it, myself included. And so we're all just on this journey together, following Jesus, trying to find healing and wholeness. And so that's why my tone today, our tone today, is not going to be angry and anxious but it's going to be gentle and gracious because I believe that's how Jesus taught. In fact, John tells us this. It says that the one and only son who came from the father, he came from the father full of grace and truth. See, Jesus came teaching and preaching full of grace, full of truth, 100% grace, 100% truth at the same time. But I want you to notice the order here. Grace is mentioned first. And that's why here at First Church, we always try to lead with grace and land with truth because we believe that's the example of Jesus because Jesus never saw the proclamation of truth as incompatible with the demonstration of grace. See, our theological convictions never give us permission to devalue or demean anyone. Let me say that again. Our theological convictions do not give us permission to devalue or demean anyone because everyone, no matter where they are in life right now, is someone created in the image of God. So, let me just have a family conversation here real fast. Please, please, don't speak for Jesus if you're not going to reflect the spirit of Jesus as you speak. Please don't speak for Jesus if you're not going to also demonstrate the heart of Jesus as you do so. So that's the first thing that I wanna say. The second thing that I wanna say, before we get started, we're still getting there, <laughs> is this. I want to confront a myth that exists in our culture. And the myth is this, our culture sees disagreement as hate. That's not true. In fact, 
if you're a parent, you know that sometimes the most loving thing you can do for your child is disagree with them, honestly. Disagreement is not the same as hate. The Bible doesn't teach that. I mean, I think about my daughter Addie. The other day, she wanted to go to the new splash pad that's out at... um, Fantastic Island, she wanted to go there, and it was storming. It was lightning and thundering. I was like, we can't go. It's dangerous right now. And she looked at me, and she said, I was told that lightning won't hit the new splash pad. And I'm just kind of like, I don't know who told you that, but I lovingly disagree with you, okay? I want to let you know that is not the case. Now, was I being mean or hateful or anything like that by saying, we can't go to the splash pad right now? No. I was saying that out of love. Disagreement is not the same as hate. We can disagree with people and still love them fully. Jesus demonstrated this. Do you remember the situation where Jesus was having a conversation with the rich young ruler? They disagreed on what the rich young ruler should do with his life. In fact, so much so that the rich young ruler walked away sad, walked away sorrowful. And even though this rich young man walked away from Jesus sad, rejecting what Jesus was asking him to do in that moment. The Bible records this. But Jesus looked at him and loved him. You can disagree with someone and still love them. And so today, that's going to be our approach. If you happen to be in a spot where you disagree with something that we teach from God's word, And so if you are struggling today with God's design for sexuality, if you're personally struggling or or have somebody in your family struggling, we just want to let you know, no matter where you are right now, we love you, and we want to let you know that we're glad you're here. Our only goal is for us together to seek God's wisdom. And so this is what I ask as we look to God's word, as we seek God's wisdom, I just ask that we all listen that we all pay attention to what God wants us to pay attention to and that we're not quick to get angry. See, the Bible tells us in the book of James, my dear brothers and sisters, always be willing to listen and slow to speak. Boy, doesn't our culture need to hear that? Do not become angry easily because anger will not help you live the right kind of life God wants. In my own personal experience, just speaking for myself, when I am angry, I don't always reason like I should. When I'm angry, I'm often not objective. And so I just ask, let's not get angry, but let's just love one another as we look past ourselves, look past me, and let's see God's heart for our lives. Because whether we realize it or not, we are all being sexually discipled. Now, what do I mean by that? Kyle Eidelman actually introduced me to this term, so I give him a lot of credit for it, but he defines it as this. He says, all of us, whether we know it or not, or acknowledge it or not, are being sexually discipled. What you're exposed to has a way of shaping your beliefs, determining your perspective, and guiding your decisions. See, our sexual ethics are shaped, they're molded by the culture around us. Sometimes this happens and we don't even realize it. And that's why the Bible tells us this. The Bible says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, don't let the culture, don't let the world around you fit you into its mold, but instead turn to Jesus and let Jesus be shaping your view of life. Let Jesus be 
turning you into who he wants you to be. And so that's important for us to keep in mind because Jesus isn't neutral when it comes to the issue of our sexuality. You know, sometimes people will ask me the question, you know, does Jesus really care who I sleep with? And the answer that the Bible gives us over and over and over again is yes. Look at what Jesus says to the church at Thyatira in the book of Revelation. Jesus is speaking to an actual church that existed in the first century, and he says this, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Apparently, this woman Jezebel was causing some trouble in the church. And he says, Jesus says, by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality. Jesus cares about the sexual ethics of his people. It matters to him because it's not just an issue of biology. This is an issue of spirituality as well. And so we need to make sure that we keep in mind that God cares who we sleep with because he cares for us. And he knows that when we step outside of his plan, not only will it affect us physically, it will affect us spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. It will affect us all the way through. And that's why there are such warnings given to us in Scripture because God has a clear design for sexuality and he isn't ashamed of that design because our loving Heavenly Father knows what's best for us. Now, like I said, we've been wired to believe that sex is just a physical thing. So why do we make such a big deal about it? It's just a physical thing. It's like eating or drinking, you know? It's just a physical need. And so if you're thirsty, you go get something to drink. And so if you have a sexual desire, then you need to go fulfill it. I mean, that's what our culture tells us. But let me ask you, you know, we're in a heat advisory today. It's Oklahoma, right? I mean, it's getting hot. And I was out mowing my yard yesterday. And after I got done mowing my yard and all that stuff, I mean, I was drenched with sweat. I was hot. And I could feel myself getting dehydrated. And so I couldn't wait to get a glass of water. And so if you were out working in your yard and it's hot and it's one of those 90 degree days or even triple digits, and all of a sudden you get done and you know you need a drink of water. And I walked up to you and I handed you this. Would you be grateful? Probably. Would you be excited? Probably. Would you think that I'm the best guy ever in that moment? Maybe. Until you started to drink this. Because what I didn't tell you is that I went to the pet store the other day and I filled this up with real salt water, Pacific Ocean water that you use like in a saltwater fish tank. Now it looks good. And right now it looks like if you were thirsty, this would be perfect for you, right? Until you actually started drinking it and by drinking it, it would make you worse off. Anybody want to try this right now? Okay, yeah, nobody, I didn't think so. <laughs> See, that's kind of the whole point. God designed sexuality, and it's a good gift from him. But when we step outside of the design that he intended for our sexuality, it's like drinking salt water. It doesn't satisfy us like we thought it would, and it ends up leaving us worse off. In anything outside of God's design for sexuality, the Bible refers to as sexual immorality. It's anything that's outside of this design that we get from the very, very beginning. And some people see God's design as restrictive and oppressive, but I don't think that's how we should see it. Instead, we should see it more like this, like a guardrail. Now, this is an actual piece from a guardrail. And you might be wondering, how does Chad get all these sermon props? Because I use a lot of them, you know? And I, I have different resources, but my main resource is Tim Tibbles. I can go to him and say I need something. He always has a guy. I mean, he always has somebody. 
And I remember this week I was asking different staff members, can anybody get me a guardrail? And they were looking at me like, what? How would we do that? I went to Tim, can I get a guardrail? I'm on it and sure enough, I have a guardrail, okay? But you know, when you see a guardrail on the side of the road, you don't think, man, that's oppressive. Man, that's really holding me back. That's stopping me from having fun. Now, why is a guardrail there? To protect you, to keep you safe so that you don't go off the edge into danger. And that's how God's design works. It's not there to oppress us. It's actually there to give us more freedom so that we can keep moving forward and living life because if we go off the edge, then that's going to hold us back. That's actually going to keep us from living the life that God designed us to live. To paraphrase G.K. Chesterton, do not remove a fence until you know why he was put there in the first place. And some of us have been painfully hurt because we or someone else removed a fence. A fence, a guardrail that God set up. Maybe it was years ago, maybe it's been recent, maybe it's going on right now. Maybe you didn't move the guardrail or fence, but somebody else did. I'm very much aware there are people listening to this message right now who are victims of sexual abuse and harassment that should have never, ever happened. And so because somebody, or maybe it was you, removed those guardrails in your life, went past them, what's been left is pain and heartache, hurt, emptiness, loneliness, confusion. And I just want to let you know that if that's you today, Jesus has good news for you. You know what that good news is? God is for you. No matter where you are right now, no matter what you believe right now about sexuality, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, God is for you and God is for me. Because all of us have been hurt by sexual sin in the past and God is still for us, and that's why he gives us his design. Because he wants what's best for us, and he knows that, that, that by pursuing his design, we will understand just how much he loves us and values us. So if that's the case, if God has this design for our sexuality, what does that look like? Well, Jesus speaks into this. And Jesus was asked one time about God's design for sexuality, marriage and divorce and remarriage and all that stuff. And as he's asked about this, you know what Jesus does? He goes back to the creation account in Genesis. Look at what Jesus says. He says, haven't you read, haven't you read Genesis? That at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Again, that sexual language there. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, remember, this isn't just a physical union. This is a spiritual union. What God has joined together, let no one separate. So what I want you to notice right off the bat as Jesus define sexuality, the first thing that he lets us know is this, God made us male and female. The two gender design was God's idea. And it was his good idea. In fact, again, God designs the two gender concept before the fall of man, before sin ever entered the world. If you look back in the book of Genesis, 
If we look back in Genesis chapter one, it says, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Before sin ever corrupted anything, God made us male and female. And the Bible says that after God looked at that design, that it was very good. Now, what we also need to realize is he says both male and female are created in the image of God, which means both men and women display the character of God, the image of God. And I believe we display his image in distinct ways, but together we image him in a way that we can't if we were just a world full of males or a world full of females. See, we both get to image God. And that is a profound responsibility, but it's also something that was intentional by our creator. See, what this means is men and women are equally created in God's image to bring him glory in distinct ways. That's how God wanted it. There's something in the interplay between the two sexes that helps us image God more fully together. Now, you won't hear that in our culture. Our culture teaches that gender is a social construct, which basically means it's something that we came up with. It's something that we've placed on ourselves, and so therefore, we get to define it and redefine it. In fact, I got on different websites doing some research this week, and there was one website that said that there are over 70 genders that you can claim. There's another website that said there are over 120 genders that you can claim. It got really confusing after a while as I started to read through those. Got on another website that said gender is just fictional. There aren't 70 or 120 or two for that matter. There really is no gender. It's just something that we've made up. Got onto another website that said, oh, there are, there is such a thing as gender, but it's fluid and it's ever-changing. And I, I understand if you get there because you don't believe that God has a design. But if God has a design, I think we need to keep pointing back to it because gender isn't based on how we see ourselves, it's on how God created us. And so let me just let you know something. If you are struggling today with your own gender identity, God loves you as you are. He loves you as he created you. And he has a purpose for you. And that tension that you're feeling, I'm gonna say something that you may not have heard in church before. It's real. People feel that tension at times. And it's real. It's not something that you just made up. And because you have this tension, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you and it doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. Because we live in a fallen world, sometimes we feel tension like that. And if that's you, if you feel that tension today, we want to acknowledge it is a real thing. But we also want to let you know that that tension doesn't have to define your identity. That Jesus wants to define your identity. And because you are created in his image, 
That's what ultimately matters. That's where we find our identity. And I find this absolutely amazing. Out of everything that God created, the only part of his creation that was made in his image was the human race. And it's not just that he made us in his image, but he also gave us the ability to reproduce his divine fingerprint. I mean, isn't that just astonishing, amazing when you think about it, that we have the ability to reproduce the image of God, to reproduce his divine fingerprint? But here's the thing. The only way that God's divine fingerprint is reproduced is when we stick to his definition of gender. Because we can try to redefine it, but that doesn't reproduce his image. That doesn't reproduce his divine fingerprint. And so, what the Bible says about gender is one, for the purpose of reproducing his divine fingerprint, but it's also so that we personally can display God's image in the way that he intended us to display it. The biblical view of gender is scientifically defendable and it provides clarity in a world that's very, very confused. And here's the thing, God isn't the author of confusion, Satan is. And God doesn't want us confused, and that's why I think Jesus points back to his original design for creation. I have a friend in ministry who had a conversation a year or so ago with a man in his church who wanted some counseling because this man, several years before that, realized that he wasn't like other men that he knew and so he decided to identify as a woman. And then after a while, he had the surgery done to go along with that. And for some time, he identified as a woman. And everybody celebrated it. And everybody was so excited for him in his circles. But he said he felt more empty than ever. That he thought that once he had the surgery and fully identified as a woman, that then he would have peace and satisfaction but it's like he was more empty than ever so eventually he started to identify as a man again found Jesus and Jesus gave him a hope that he didn't have in this world and the reason why he was coming to talk to my friend in ministry was because he had become interested in a woman and he didn't know how to have the conversation with her about the surgery. Now, the good news is this woman that he was interested in was a godly woman who showed him love, Christ-like love, when he told her. But it was still a really, really hard and confusing situation. No matter what you're dealing with right now, God made you with eternal value. He loves you right now as you are and if you disagree with anything I just said, that doesn't change how much God loves you. And that doesn't change how precious you are in his sight, and it doesn't change how much I love you or this church loves you. And you know, there's so much controversy about gender today. If it is true that the two gender concept is how we fully display the image of God on earth, maybe that's why it's under attack. Because Satan doesn't want the image of God displayed in any way. But what else does Jesus say? What Jesus also says in this same uh, section that we read, he also gives God's definition for sex, his plan for sex. And basically what Jesus says is sex was designed to be enjoyed within marriage between 
a man and a woman. So this is basically what Jesus does. Jesus says, okay, you wanna know about what's right and wrong. Let's go back to God's design. Here's God's design. He lays it out and he doesn't give us any other options. He doesn't give us any other exceptions to this. He could have, but he doesn't. And this is how the Bible often works. The Bible will give us God's design and then it says anything outside of God's design is not part of his plan. We're supposed to stay within his design. And that's why as you read throughout scripture, you will never find any sexual activity that is blessed by God outside of the marriage between a man and a woman. And so there's no example of this, but also there are these lists all throughout scripture that specifically talk about certain things that are outside of that plan. And so some of those things that are outside of God's plan Sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, adultery, pornography, homosexuality, casual hookups, lust, and the list goes on and on. Now, 15 years ago, if I were to make that very statement, some people in our culture would have called me old-fashioned. That's not the case today. People don't call me old-fashioned. Instead, they think that such statements are offensive and even dangerous. And I think the reason for that is because we've turned sexual desires into the basis by which people find their identity. Our sexual desires now define who we are. And so you hear statements like, well, just let me be who I wanna be, or I need to follow my heart, or I've gotta be true to myself. And again, I get that if you don't believe that there's an ultimate design for your life, but if you do, what about this truth from scripture? It says, flee from sexual immorality. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Remember what I said earlier. The question is not, what do you believe about sex? The question is, what do you believe about God? Now, I'm going to admit, following God's design is extremely difficult at times. It's not always easy, it's challenging at times. But do we trust that God knows what's best? Since he is our creator and he is the designer of love, we should let him define what love is. I read a book not too long ago by a guy named Sam Alberry. You may have heard of him, and you may not have. He's a preacher at a local church. He also preaches around the world. He's extremely educated. He was educated at Oxford. And so he, he knows this stuff and he does his research. But he wrote this book entitled, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? Interesting title, isn't it? But what I didn't tell you about Sam Alberry is that since, he's, since he was a teenager, Sam has been attracted to the same sex. He's been attracted sexually to other men. But he came to know Jesus, and so he decided long ago that Jesus was the most important relationship in his life. And so he was going to choose Jesus over anything else. And he has a quote in his book where he says this. We shouldn't assume that God automatically endorses our understanding of love. God knows far more about love than we do. And we therefore need to listen to him if we are to love each other as well as we can. In other words, 
it really won't do to use the slogan, love is love, as justification for a particular relationship. There are different forms of love. And loving well in any given situation involves ordering those loves appropriately. We combine and confuse them to our peril. You see, what Sam is saying here is the slogan, love is love, is catchy, but it's not found in the Bible. The Bible tells us that there are tons of different levels of love. I love my wife differently than I love my kids. I love my kids differently than I love my friends and neighbors. I love my friends and neighbors differently than I love my parents. I love my parents differently than I love you guys. I love you guys differently than I love my in-laws, really differently than I love my (laughs) in-laws. There are different levels of love, right? The Bible never says love is love, but this is what the Bible does say. God is love. See, God is the definition of love, and he is our greatest love. And so, because he is the author of love, he knows what love is best in what context. Yeah, but Chad, we've progressed beyond that. And, you know, you're looking at these scriptures from the Bible. That was written thousands of years ago. I mean, they didn't know what we know now. First of all, study history. Go back and read Plato. They knew about the same stuff we know about, okay? But one thing about Jesus is Jesus was never one to settle for cultural norms that didn't fit with God's truth. He was always turning things on its head. And on one occasion, Jesus is teaching about this subject, and he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Basically, you've heard it was said, don't practice sex outside of the marriage covenant that God has established between a man and a woman. You've heard it said that. And here's the thing. Typically, when Jesus made that statement, you've heard it said, there's getting ready to be a contrast coming. He's getting ready to say, but I'm going to tell you something else. And so maybe these men on this day who were listening to Jesus speak were thinking, Jesus is going to change the rules here. Jesus is going to say, you've heard it said, but I tell you, follow your heart. But I tell you, do whatever you want to do. It's not what Jesus does. He says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus doesn't just double down on God's design for sexuality, he also takes it a step further and he says sexual purity isn't just about behavior, it's about a matter of the heart. Because it's not just a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. And Jesus knows that when our hearts aren't right, when it comes to any issue, it leads to destructive behavior. And not only that, I want you to catch this. This is important. Jesus says that we're not even to look lustfully at another person. You know why? Because God so values your sexual dignity and my sexual dignity that he doesn't even want somebody violating it in the privacy of their own minds. That's how much God cares for us. Now, I get it. This conversation is uncomfortable. And my goal today is not to upset anybody or cast judgment or anything like that. You know why? Because remember what I said, there are several lists in Scripture that talk about activity that's outside of God's design. One of those lists is found in 1 Timothy. Look what it says. It says, These, this activity that's outside of God's design, here it is, people who are sexually immoral, there's that term again, or who practice homosexuality 
or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news. Now we're quick to look at a list like this of things that are outside God's design and say, look, there it is, sexual immorality. There it is, homosexuality. But did you see what else is in this list? Liars? Promise breakers? Let me just see, show of hands. Anybody in this room today never, ever, ever told a lie? Go ahead and raise your hand real fast. Okay, now look around. If you see a hand going up, that means Jesus is in our midst, okay? (laughs) What's the point? We're all in need of God's grace. Every one of us. Don't be quick to point the finger at somebody else when we're all in need of God's grace. It doesn't mean that these things aren't outside of God's plan, but it means we're to show grace to one another. See, there's another list that's also found in the New Testament. It says this. It says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, there it is again, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor those who habitually are drunk or nor verbal abusers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But then look at the next line. He's writing to the church, the church at Corinth, and he says, such were some of you. At one time, you were all doing that stuff. And then he goes on to say, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, this is a hard sermon. And I'm not gonna call something right that God called wrong. I'm not gonna edit what the creator said out of fear of what the creation might think. I'm not going to conform the teachings of the Bible to fit my lifestyle. My lifestyle is to fit the teachings of the Bible. But with all that said, I still believe that God is in the business of loving people where they are and transforming their lives. And we are all in the process of transformation. This week, another staff member and I got to sit down with a lady in our church who's a godly woman and a friend. But years ago, she dated other women. In her 20s, that's where she found her identity. And she was in committed relationships with other women for long periods of time. And she said, even though she was in these relationships and people celebrated her new identity, there was still an emptiness that existed and she didn't know what it was. And one day she figured out what that emptiness was. She was missing Jesus the one relationship that matters above all other relationships. And when she found him, he changed her life. And she's not the same person today she was years ago. But as this staff member and I were talking with her and she was telling us her story, it was a powerful story. She said, Chad, I know you're a little bit afraid to preach this message on Sunday. Don't be. Because there are people listening who were like me who need to know that what they're looking for, what they're missing, what they're searching for is Jesus. What they need to know is that Jesus is better. That Jesus is better than anything
this world has to offer, that Jesus is better than any relationship you can possibly have. This life is short. Jesus is what matters. So, my, so no matter where you are today, what you're going through today, let me say it again. God loves you. I love you. Our church loves you. And God loves you so much that he doesn't want you to keep drinking salt water. He wants for you to be fully refreshed. And the way to be fully refreshed is by following his design. As Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Only Jesus will satisfy us. The question is not what do you believe about sex, it's what do you believe about God? And if you want to discover God's design for your life, we would love to walk alongside you. But even if you don't today, God still loves you, and so do we. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your design, and we know that like guardrails in our life, you just want what is best for us. And so Father, as we end today, may we end focused on your son, remembering that he is better because the only thing that we wanna do in life is to magnify him. I thank you for everybody who's in this room, whether they agreed or disagreed with what I just said. Father, I know you love them, and I just pray that in this messy living room that we call the church, that we can all come to you to find our true purpose. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.